than ever, followers of Jesus Christ need to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have, to present why we believe that the claims of Christ are true. The Bible tells us to do this. This is commonly called apologetics, from the Greek word apologia. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zukerin. Recently, Pat had an opportunity to speak to a conference on the need for apologetics in the church. Today, you'll hear part one of this fascinating topic. And by the way, these are exactly the kind of resources that we have at evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, a complete list of Pat's books, his articles, and past shows that you may have missed or available for download, all at evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Pat Zuckerin before an audience on the need for apologetics. Christ commanded us to go into all the world and transform our world and our culture for the kingdom of God. If a church or any Christian ministry is going to fulfill this mission of transforming our culture and our world for Christ, understand we are going to be engaged in a battle, in a struggle, because the world right now, and it doesn't take much to see this, is in rebellion to God. And they do not want to hear the truth of God's word. And so it's often a very hostile place when you're presenting the message of the gospel. So if we're going to engage our culture for Christ, there are three things any church or ministry has got to do well. Just three basic things. Number one, the ministry must be able to proclaim and communicate the truth to their culture in a powerful and compelling manner. And you've got to know the message of the gospel very well so that you can communicate it clearly in a way that is relevant to the culture in a manner which they will understand and respond to. They will see the truth of the message being proclaimed and respond to it. You've got to be able to proclaim Christ's message in a compelling manner to your culture. Number two, you've got to be able to defend the truth of God's Word. If you're going into a culture and don't take much to see, and you're going to say, this is the Word of God, this is God's truth, you're going to expect a hostile response at times? You better. Hey, if you're going to go into the culture of Hawaii, call uh, Rick Hamada in the morning and talk about homosexuality and say it is a sin, you're going to get a hostile response? You bet. You bet. If your kids in high school are talking and the subject comes up in class about homosexuality and they say, well, that's a sin. They're going to get a hostile response? You bet. You bring that position up in the work group, you're going to get a hostile response? Yeah. If you're around the coffee table at work and you say, there's only one way to eternal life, that's Jesus Christ. You're going to get a hostile response? You bet. You bet. If you're going to proclaim truth, you better be able to defend your message. And number three, you've got to live the truth. We must be able to live truth in such a way that is so different from the world that people cannot possibly ignore our message. Now, many churches focus on one and two, and they often neglect uh, one and three, and they often forget number two. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, apologetics. Okay? That's not apologizing for your faith. Okay? Apologetics is the defense 
of the Christian faith. Why must we defend our faith? Why do we need apologetics? Why do all of us as Christians, as we're growing in Christ, need to have the ability to explain why we believe and defend our position? Why is that so important? Well, I'm going to give you four reasons why. And it is essential if any church or ministry is going to engage their culture for Christ, it is essential that they have the ability to defend the truth that they proclaim. Apologetics is necessary for four reasons. First, the Bible commands it. Number two, our faith stands on it. Number three, reason requires it. And number four, the unbelieving world demands it. Okay? Those are the four reasons we need apologetics. Let's take a look at number one. The Bible commands it. The first commandment. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, the first commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Knowing what you believe, but also why you believe. Understanding what you believe. Being able to articulate your position in sometimes a very hostile arena is part of worshiping God with your mind. You see, Christianity is a complete faith involves your entire being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. A faith that is all mind with no heart, that's a stone-cold faith, right? The Ephesus kind of faith in Revelation. But a faith that is all heart with no mind okay, is just an emotional kind of faith. And an emotional kind of faith is only going to take you so far. Okay? Sooner or later... You are going to face challenges. Your children, as they're going through the public education system, are going to face challenges. And they have got to see that there is compelling reasons and good evidence for their faith in Jesus Christ. Or we will end up seeing, as many surveys show, 80% of our young people walk away from their faith after four years of college. Christ commanded us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First Peter Peter said, when you are persecuted, okay, he said, continue to humbly live for Christ. And when people ask you, how can you endure this? How can you sustain such persecution with such strong inner strength? Peter says, when they ask you why you believe, he says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay? To uh, give an answer, okay? and apologia, that's where apologetics comes from. Peter commands us, when people ask you, why do you believe? Why do you choose to live the way you do? Peter says it's at that point, you have got to give, you must be able to give a defense, to give an answer, to give an apologia for why you believe in Christ and why you choose to live the way you do. Jude, Jude 3. Jude says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. Now the word contend there, it's the Greek word agonizomai. That's where we get to agonize from. It's used of men in the middle of competition, of athletic competition. And Jude is saying, the false teachers, false ideas of the culture, are going to challenge the Christian faith. And it's the duty of every Christian to contend for the faith. Okay? It's a struggle. 
He's not saying, therefore, run and hide behind the walls of the church. That's not what he's saying. He says, for us to engage in that struggle, not to run from it, but to engage in it and contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. And Paul, in his final exhortation to the leaders at the church of Ephesus, he says this, Keep watch over yourselves and the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And Paul is saying this, when I depart, the false teachers and the false prophets are coming on an assault on the body of Christ. And leaders of this congregation, you must be ready to defend your flock. Hey, he's talking to fathers, being able to present a defense to your children that they not get swept away by the false teaching that's coming. Mothers and grandmothers to be able to articulate and defend your faith that your family members may not get swept away by the false teaching that's coming. And he gives a very somber warning here. Many of them will come from where? Within the church, within the body. They're going to be disguised and hidden in the body of Christ. Okay, think about it. If you're in a military war, if the enemy is wearing the uniform of the other country, it's easy to identify him. And he can't do much damage. He's over there. You know who he is. He knows who you are. And you know who the enemy is. But if he's got your uniform on, and he's got a silencer, that's a little bit harder. And he can do a tremendous amount of damage. And that's what Paul is saying. Watch out. The savage wolves are coming, and many of them will infiltrate and be in the flock of God. So be on your guard. Paul gives us that warning. Over half the New Testament is an apologetic defense of Christianity or refuting some kind of false teaching. I mean, just go through your New Testament. Galatians. Paul there is fighting the Galatian heresy. Hey, there were Jews over there saying, you must go back and obey and follow the Old Testament laws in order to be saved. And Paul is combating that heresy. He even has to rebuke Peter, right, who has fallen in okay, and has embraced some of that false teaching Paul has to sit down and rebuke Peter and restore him from the false ideas that Peter embraced. First and second John, hey, the apostle is fighting Gnostic heresy that he sees rising and coming up over the horizon. And we know that 50 years later, the Gnostic Gospels, many of them, over three dozen of them, began popping up, claiming to have been written by different apostles. Okay? And the famous novel, or the infamous novel, The Da Vinci Code, capitalized on the Gnostic Gospels. And the liberal theologians, even to this day, continue to lay their assault upon Christianity using the Gnostic Gospels in their arsenal. And John was warning the church of that in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, warning them of the heresy that's coming on the horizon. Jude and 2 Peter, these are entire books written refuting false teachers and false teaching in the church. Even the Gospels, and they're apologetic in nature, designed to present a compelling case, persuading people 
that Jesus Christ is indeed the divine Son of God. Matthew is written to persuade the Jews Jesus is their Messiah. John wrote his gospel, we read in John chapter 20, these things are written so what? That you may believe hey, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why did they write their gospels? To persuade people, to give them reason and evidence to believe and follow after Jesus Christ. Apologetics was also essential in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus Christ was the greatest thinker and apologist who has ever lived. In fact, there's a great book out there, you know, written by a guy you might know, called The Apologetics of Jesus. Uh, good book, you know, and uh, if you uh, got a uh, birthday coming up or uh, anniversary, you know, or marriage falling apart, no, just kidding. Uh, shameless, shameless promotion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Jesus was a great apologist throughout his ministry. He was defending his claim to be the divine son of God. In John chapter 5, the Jewish leaders come up to him and say, who gives you the right to make these kind of claims that you're greater than the law, that you come to fulfill the law and, uh, and all these things? What gives you that right? John chapter 5. And New Testament scholar Leon Morris in his commentary on John chapter 5 says this, nowhere in the Gospels as in chapter 5, do we find our Lord making such a formal, systematic, orderly, orderly, regular statement of his own unity with the Father, his divine commission and authority, and the proofs of his Messiahship as we find in this discourse? In John chapter 5, the Jews come to him and says, who gives you this authority to come in here and teach and all that? And Jesus doesn't say, well, just believe, man, just, just believe, you know? No, nope. Jesus gives them powerful reason and evidence. He brings forward, as in a courtroom, he brings forward five of the most powerful witnesses that he can bring forward to defend his case. Okay, if you read John chapter 5, he brings five uh, of the most powerful witnesses anyone can bring. And the list of his witnesses include John the Baptist, God the Father, his miracles, the Old Testament scriptures, and Moses. He brings forth those five witnesses. There's no more powerful witnesses than those five. And he says, these five testify of me. Go study them. Here's how they testify of me. And he makes a powerful defense. Okay? Mark chapter 2. You know the story. Jesus is teaching. Someone pops a hole in the roof. They lower a man in on a stretcher. And Jesus looks at the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Jewish leaders in there are saying, how can that man say that? Only God can forgive sins. Who gives him that right? And what's Jesus do? And he doesn't say, well, just take my word for it, guys. No, he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I tell you, take up your mat and walk. Boom. And that miracle he performed, people should have made the connection right there. Something's going on here. And God confirms his message and his messengers through what? Miracles. Here's a guy that just did one. Something's with this guy. Some made that connection. Many did not. It was an essential component in the ministry of Jesus. It was an essential component in the ministry of the apostles. Look at Acts chapter 2. Peter is preaching his first sermon right there at Pentecost. And the Jews say, what's going on here? And Peter presents what? An apologetic message. In Acts chapter 2. 
Peter points to the miracles of Christ. He says, this man, Jesus, and, and he says, you, you are witnesses of the things that he did. Hey, he's pointing them right to the evidence, and, and he's saying, you're eyewitnesses of the things that I am saying. Then he points in verse 23 and 24 to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then in verse 25 to 28, he points to fulfilled prophecy. He's, what's he doing there? He's presenting reasons. He's presenting evidence why you should believe in Christ. And the result, 3,000 that day came to Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And later on he says that he was put here for what? For the defense of the gospel. Apologetics was key in the ministry of the apostles. Apologetics was key in the ministry of the early church fathers. Right after the apostles, read their writings. Okay? It's filled with the defense of Christianity. It was essential in their ministry. You know, some of the greatest thinkers come from where? The Christian church. Think about it. And one of the unfortunate things is that Christians have lost the ability to think and articulate their ideas and present it to the culture in such a powerful way that even if the culture is not believing, they can sit and say, you present a good case. I may not agree, but, but you present a very good case here, worthy of me considering this. You, you can see, you know, the, the church is to function, as Augustine said, you know, as the conscience of society. Yet what are we seeing now? Just a small minority, 1% of the population, bullying through laws that are dangerous to our society, dangerous to the welfare of our nation, okay, that go directly against God's commands. And how is it getting through? Okay, those who are the defenders and protectors and proclaimers of truth don't have the ability okay, to counter the arguments that are being presented there. The Bible commands it. Okay? In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul talks about the uh, spiritual war that we are in. And he says that the, we wage war not with the weapons of this world. He says that the Christian lives in the midst of a fallen world in rebellion to God. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Okay? Apologetics was essential in the ministry of Christ, the apostles, and the early church fathers. The Bible commands us eh, to defend the faith. I remember uh, a few years ago, just maybe one or two years ago, I was up in San Jose. I had just finished teaching apologetics at a retreat up there in the beautiful hills of Northern California. And we were done and I was eating lunch and uh, there was a um, youth ministry that had also just finished their retreat and they were sitting in the same restaurant, and we kind of said hi. And the uh, youth speaker came over, and we met, and we talked a little bit. And 
I said, you know, we sat down and uh, I just explained to him what Pro Ministries is, it's apologetics and all that. And, and he sat there and he said, um, he said, you think apologetics is necessary? You know, and I said, well, sure. You know, and, and he goes, you know, I, I don't know if it is. I think we just need to love people. If we just love them, that's, you know, that, that's what the Bible tells us to do. And I said, well, remember, you know, if you really love someone, you're going to proclaim truth. Okay? And if you're going to proclaim truth, you're going to have to defend it. And he was like, well, I don't know. You know. I don't like to argue with people. I said, it's not arguing, right? Peter says to give an answer for the, a reason for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and humility or gentleness and respect. You don't argue with them. And anyway, well, he, we were just kind of going back and we said, I, I, don't, I don't know if apologetics is really... By the way, who, who, who listens to you? Do you? Does anyone listen to apologetics anymore? Anyone, you know, what, what kind of churches want apologists anyway? Uh, and I said, well, usually, and I was trying to be real nice about this, I said, usually it's churches who have people that are engaging the lost world for Christ. You know, in other words, usually churches where the people are doing evangelism like apologetics. You know, why is that? Well, they got an atheist friend at work. They want to be an effective witness for Christ. They got a cousin who's a Buddhist. They got a friend who's a New Ager. So usually churches that are engaging and pastors and ministries that are engaging lost people for Christ usually like apologetics. And he's kind of, oh, okay. So, you know, he went and sat down with his youth group and, uh, you know, I sat down with the adults and we're talking. It, five minutes hadn't gone by. Five minutes had not gone by. And then he tapped me on the shoulder, and my food had just come, and he said, uh, we need you at our table over here. <laughs> and, and I said, oh, something wrong? He said, well, we were talking about dating, and I was explaining God's principles for dating, and, and uh, half of the girls over there said they don't believe in the Bible. So why should they, uh, you know, wait till, wait till marriage and all this kind of stuff? Uh, can you come over and help me out and explain why the Bible is the Word of God? You know, and I said, well, I said, after I'm done with my food, I'll come over and help you, you know, if I can. And, uh, you know, he went back, <laughs> he went, uh, back to his table. But nowadays, when I'm speaking to youth groups, when I'm speaking to people under 30, I can't assume they believe this is the Word of God. Many of them have bought into the ideas of the culture that they're steeped in in school and to relativism and pluralism and uh, Darwinian evolution and scientism and you name these false ideas they have embraced it and they no longer think biblically so often whatever topic I'm whatever series I'm speaking on often the first message has to be some kind of an apologetic message giving a defense that this is indeed the word of God apologetics uh, the Bible commands it next Reason requires it. God created us in His image, which means we are rational, moral beings. We use our reasoning faculties all the time. Okay? We make our daily decisions using, using our rational faculties and examining the evidence. Okay? For example, if you're going to buy a car, okay? how do you decide on what car to get? Well, you're using your rational thinking and you're looking at the evidence. What kind of ratings does this car have? What kind of reports are written on it? My friend owns one of these cars. How does he like it? Can I talk to three or four other people? Okay. Uh, 
I remember walking into a, uh, you know, when I was buying a used car, I remember walking into a lot and looking, and I popped open the trunk, and I'm looking for those uh, serial numbers, right? It should match on the uh, hood of the trunk, on the fenders, right? Those serial numbers should all match. Otherwise, you know that car's been in an accident. And so I was looking at the serial numbers, and there weren't any on there. So I looked at the dealer, and I said, uh, or the car salesman, and I said, is this a total? How many accidents has this car been in? And he goes, oh, no accidents, no accidents. And I said, well, well, show me the paperwork. And he said, oh, no accidents, no accidents. And I said, well, look, not, you got no serial stickers here. Oh, this car was made in 2000. You know, uh, they don't put serial stickers on after 2000. You know, and I was like, all right, thanks a lot. You know, boom, I was out of there. You use your rational mind, your rational thinking ability, and you're looking at evidence constantly every day. That's how you make decisions in life. So we're constantly examining what we believe and, and why we believe it, whether we know it or not. Well, we have run out of time, so let's pick it up there next time on Evidence and Answers. By the way, if you want to keep a quality apologetics program on the air and on the web, please support Evidence and Answers with your prayers and financial gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing the many resources we have online including Pat's new book with Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus. So check out our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you can also invite Pat to speak at your next event, church, campus, or conference on the most crucial issues facing the world today and how the Christian worldview provides the best answers to the best